0: Good morning. Uh, Again, I welcome you to our our service. I, too, am one of the pastors on staff at a Fort Worth Presbyterian Church. And uh, we are in the middle of a series on the book of Hebrews. It's one of the letters written in the New Testament. So we're going to turn there. And if you want to take the Bible that's in the pew, it's the blue book in the pew or in the chair in front of you. You can turn to page 1000 and seven to find the passage that we're going to talk about this morning. And always it's helpful if you keep your Bible open the whole time just to have reference to the different phrases that we'll talk about, uh, different sentences in this passage. This comes as the tail end of a pretty long section And I might refer you back to the beginning of this section in chapter 6, where he says in verse 19, and this launches into 7, 8, 9, and 10. Verse 19, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Notice your bulletin, okay? (laughs) So that's a real central passage in Hebrews. As an anchor uh, of the soul a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, that is, in the presence of God, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So chapter 7, he talks about his priesthood. Chapters 9 and 10, he talks about how he uh, fulfilled his priesthood, how he died for us and why it was so effective. But you'll see there in verse 619... He's talking about being within the veil, behind the curtain. And so as he finishes this whole section, the one we're going to read now, chapter 10, verse 19, it's the same subject. So he launches into the subject of getting inside with God. He tells us about the priest and he tells us what the priest has done for us. And now he concludes, since he has done this, since we have such a great high priest, let us do these things, okay? So, this is a pretty important part of Hebrews, uh, a culmination of what many would say is the heart of Hebrews. Um, So, we'll read verse 19 uh, through 25. Therefore, it's a big therefore. (laughs) Therefore, brothers... Since we have confidence to enter the holy places, there it is again, by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with the true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Our Father, as we come to your word. We ask for your spirit to teach us the word, to bring the word to bear in our hearts. Uh, Lord, to grip us with this word, to nourish us in this word, to comfort us and transform us by this word. That we may come to trust Christ all the more and adore him all the more. And Lord, as we come uh, to the word of God. We think about our fathers, the fathers here in this room, even fathers that we have that are not here, some who have passed away. But we think of the fathers here and we pray that they will be men who trust in your goodness, men who are relieved in your presence, men who draw near to God through Jesus Christ Men who have a a wonderful sense of their clean conscience before God. Men who hold their hope fast. The hope of God's everlasting favor. And men who encourage one another to love and good deeds. Men who themselves are giving themselves away within their family. Giving themselves away in their community, in this church giving themselves away in faithfulness and responsibility of their work. Lord, all of these things are, are difficult. These men have many responsibilities. We pray that they would have a great joy in living out their relationship with God, a great joy in knowing their own favor that they have with God, not because of anything they've done, but because of the perfect and precious precious work of Jesus Christ. Oh, bless them, Lord, today when we celebrate what fathers have done and what they've been to us. Oh, bless these men, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, on California's Pacific coast, uh, on Highway 1, 13 miles south of Carmel, You come to, and many of you have been across that bridge, the Bixby Creek Bridge. At the time it was built, uh, finished in 1932, it was the largest arch of any bridge in California at 360 feet. Even today, it's one of the uh, uh, concrete arch, and today it's one of the tallest concrete arch uh, bridges in the whole world. So it's really magnificent. It's one of the most photographed bridges in uh, California. It was on a postage stamp in 2010. And when you, if you happen to watch Big Little Lies, HBO series, it's the first thing you see in the credits. So, very uh, well-known bridge. But what makes Bixby Bridge way more important... Is it gives you access. It gives you an entrance from the north. In fact, it's called in that regard the gateway to the Big Sur Shore, shore uh, region of California. Uh, the Big Sewers called as the most is described as the most spectacular meeting of ocean and land in all of the United States. And the Bixby Bridge gets you in there, right, on Highway 1. It's called the longest and most scenic stretch of undeveloped coastline in the contiguous United States. One of the most beautiful coastlines anywhere in the world where you go from sea level to 1,000-foot drops on this one highway. You never have to leave the highway. And the 3, 4 million people that visit every year just stay on Highway 1 and see all of this beauty. I hope you see a little bit of the analogy that Christ and Christ alone has opened to us the only way to glorious fellowship with God. By bearing your sin on the cross, Christ has prepared a place for you in the presence of God. That's why here it says, by the blood or through the flesh of Christ. It's referring to his sacrifice that brings us into life in God's presence. And so as three to four million people draw near to see the beauty of the Big Sur every year, we are saying, the writer is saying here, Draw near to the beauties of God. Draw near to the majesty, the stunning, breathtaking views of the glory of God that Christ's work has brought you into. There you can delight in Him and adore Him. There you can pour out your heart to Him. You can pour out your desires and struggles to trust Him, to rest in Him, to be relieved and comforted by Him. So our passage lays out pretty easily in terms of its organization. The first three verses, verses 19 through 21, you see the outline in your bulletin. This is the because section, all right? Since these things are true. Uh, If the writer of Hebrews had already had his uh, Hebrews divided like we do, (laughs) he would say... As I have set forth before you in chapters 7 through 10. And there it is. That we have such a way. We have such a priest. Let us then draw near. Let us hold fast. Let us love well. Three exhortations that follow. So it lays out very easily here. Now it's interesting this word, verse 19. Let's look then at this the uh, kind of introductory part where he's, he's saying, since we have these things. He says, since we have confidence, this word really means authorization, okay? It's authorization to confidently stand with boldness in the presence of God. Like in the political realm in uh, the Roman Empire, it had to do with the freedom that citizens have to speak in the gathered assembly. Okay, Slaves and aliens didn't have that right. It was regarded as one of the most important rights you could have and one of the worst things you could lose is the right to speak. Same word here. So it's translated in some... Uh, Translations as we have the right to enter the sanctuary or another, we have complete freedom to go into the most holy place. So it's it refers to the certainty of entrance that you have and the confidence that you get from that. And notice it's called a living way in verse twenty. This means that it's a way that leads to life. Therefore, it's living. There's abundance of life in the presence of God. There is restoration. That's where you're made whole as a human being. That's the, There you have the life of knowing his forgiveness and favor. You have the life of having his fellowship and his smile. You have the life of being transformed, of having new desires, of new fruitful obedience. It's a living way. And you can have full, you have full authorization to be in there. And so confidently, Go in. And so, uh, based on that, that he's, he's been dealing with in these past chapters, he now gives us these three exhortations in verses 22, 23, and then 24 and 25. The first is draw near, draw near, draw near in worship either in the gathered assembly or your family or even in private. Draw near to God in prayer in these ways. Draw near to God in his word in these ways. Draw near to God in suffering, in failure and sin, in heartache and loss. Draw near in the midst of great earthly blessings. Draw near as you enjoy His creation, as you enjoy legitimate culture. Draw near to God as you fulfill the rich responsibilities He's given you in the home, at work, in the community, in church. Draw near to God, Draw, be, enter into His presence and stay there. It really means live life in the presence of God. This is what Christ has won for you. Stay across the bridge in the big uh, sewer. (laughs) Somebody can help me pronounce it. Uh, The big sure. Uh, But stay there. Stay in his presence. That's where Christ has brought you. And he tells us to draw near in full assurance. Really, the word is simply fullness. So fullness of faith, right? That's what he's saying. Draw near in fullness of faith, abundant faith, overflowing faith, liberating faith, joyful faith, exhilarating faith. That's why the word true is used here, a sincere heart. A heart that truly is helplessly resting in Christ. Doesn't mean a perfect heart. Or that there are every perfect motive in your life. But it means a heart that sincerely, helplessly rests in Christ. That you know you can't be there except in Christ. And so you're full of that rest in Jesus. And so you draw near because... You can do nothing of yourself to win God's favor. And this little phrase that he has, heart sprinkled clean, uh, or, or bodies, wa- first, let's just mention the bodies washed uh, with pure water. It probably is a reference to baptism, but it, it refers to what baptism points to is the cleansing of our life. Like Ezekiel twenty thirty six 36 says, I will sprinkle clean water upon you and you will be clean from your uncleanness. And then he says, a new heart, I will give you a new spirit and I'll cause you to walk in my statue. So the idea is sprinkling you with uh, or cleansing you so that your life is reoriented. You have a renewal of life so that you want to give yourself up to God, especially in response to the favor he gives you in Christ. The stunning love that hits your heart and causes you to want to give yourself up to him is called a cleansing of your life. So that you're no longer dreading and avoiding Him and suspicious of Him. And you don't want to give your life to Him. But now you see Him show favor in Christ Jesus. And in response to that love, you want to give yourself up to His will. That's the cleansing of God in your life. The cleansing that removes your a running from God, and now you become a full human being beginning to give yourself up to God as you were meant to. What a glorious cleansing He gives us. And He says as well, when you draw near, that you have a hearts heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Now, evil here is, perhaps doesn't mean what you might think it means exactly it means a conscience <clears throat> that is plagued with the prospect of being judged for your sins that's an evil condition to be in a, a tragic condition to be in that i'm aware of my sin and i know that i i deserve to be judged for my sin There's this closed-in feeling of being trapped in sin and then fearing the punishment of sin. And I'll say this, apart from Christ, that's an accurate assessment of life. It's the condition of every one of us apart from Christ, trapped in our sins and headed for judgment. Like somebody that's just gone off a cliff and they realize, I'm dying. I'm going I'm to be killed. If we could see life as it is, apart from God's grace, we'd see I'm a sinner, I'm trapped in my sin, and I'm headed for death. That's what he calls an evil conscience. But he says, have your heart cleansed from an evil conscience. Clean from that evil conscience. So that now... You have a conscience in which, as has already been said in our service, there's no condemnation for your sin because Christ has taken away that condemnation and it's all gone. And you have a consciousness of being forgiven by God. You have a real consciousness of that God favors you now for nothing you've done, but He really favors you and wants to do good to you. That's having a conscience. Cleansed from evil, knowing God's acceptance in Christ Jesus, a conscience that knows peace and shalom, even standing before a holy God. How can that be? How can it be for us sinners to stand with joy in the presence of God? Because we have a clean conscience. Because he has purged us, he has purified our consciences before him. And so, because of his one offering, sin no longer comes between you and God. It doesn't exclude you from his presence. It must not intimidate you away from his presence, ever He has not gained forgiveness for some of your sins so that now you have to fix the rest of your sins. You must not think that when you become a Christian that all your sins up to that point are taken away in Christ. But now the rest of them, the rest of your life, you're going to have to fix them yourself. That's the way a lot of people view it. He forgave all those sins, but now I've got to fix these. Why do you think in some churches there's this elaborate mechanism where... You confess and somebody helps you get that forgiveness and get the next forgiveness and the next forgiveness. And then right before you die, they make sure they come and take care of all their sins before you die. Why? It's it's the idea that sins are forgiven in piecemeal along the way and they keep having to be atoned for in some way. We as human beings have to keep fixing them and even in that system in purgatory, you have to finish fixing them for a long time. No, Christ has atoned for all of your sins, all of your sins. You can't with your own acts of penance or obedience cover your remaining sins and no one else can either. All of your sins, as Ryan said early, past, present and future are taken away. None of them will ever need atoning for. They have been atoned for and Christ is seated at the right hand of God to indicate that part is done. That's why you can be in the presence of God. (laughs) Because your sins have been atoned for. Christ has fixed Everything. So, draw near. <laughs> the Bixby Bridge is built so people will go into Big Sur, right? And millions go every year. And that's the idea here. Don't hang back. <laughs> what would it be if this bridge is built? Nobody goes in and sees it. It's right there, but nobody goes in. No, that's you must live there. You must constantly be there. Whatever happens in your life, run again. Be in his presence and delight in his presence. Draw near. But as well, hold fast. Hold fast. Notice your hope, the confession of your hope. He's talking about the reality. Hold fast to this new reality. Don't let it go. Because you have a faithful God who's promised these things. And here I want uh, us to go back and talk about this word sanctified that we uh, didn't talk about last week. In, in chapter 9, verse 10, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. So I, I want to talk about the hope that you have of being sanctified in his presence. And don't give up that great hope that is yours, that you are sanctified in the presence of God. As many of you know, this has the idea, the notion of being separated from all other ties and now being dedicated, consecrated Into the very presence of God. So there's some idea of movement away from former connections. And now you have a new connection. And you're within the presence of God. Not where you used to be. That's the sense of being sanctified. So that his work has put you in a right relationship with himself. And it's actually your name. The translation in chapter 9 verse 14 should be... uh, Those who are sanctified, that is, you're called, you're the sanctified ones, you're the consecrated ones. You're in the presence of God. You will, you are and always will be consecrated into his presence. And you must hold fast to that hope. I am dedicated into the presence of God. I belong to him. He embraces me. I've been admitted into the freedom and presence of God. And here are a couple of things to think about as you hold fast to this hope, this being sanctified, separated for God. Number one, it gives you a safe place to look at your own sin. The only safe place where you can look at your own sin. Because your sins have been dealt with once and for all. Even as you think about your sins, it's to be done in the Fellowship with God because you're dedicated to Him. And it's because you're in relationship to God that you can face your sin honestly, without fear, and begin working on it and begin to be transformed by His Spirit. You can face your sin in the holy presence of God. That's what it means to be sanctified. Hold fast that hope of the presence of God. It gives you also a safe place so you can abandon your sin and all of its connections. Now, because you have his life in favor, you can begin to trash your idols that you depended upon for life and significance. See? No, you're dedicated to him. You don't need that former life and those former... dependencies, those former idols. So it gives you a safe place to look at your sin. It gives you a safe place to throw away your former idols. And it gives you hope for change. Because you're no longer in the kingdom of darkness under the dominion of Satan. You're no longer a part of this world in rebellion against God. Though you circulate among them, you're no longer a part of it. You're separated out and you're dedicated to God. You're His. You're not theirs. They don't have a hold on you. God has a hold on you. You're in His presence, not their presence. You're defined by your fellowship with God, not your fellowship with them. You are consecrated. You are separated out for him, forever sheltered and nurtured and cherished and defended by this God. That's what it means to be sanctified, separated to belong to him. You see, you weren't even in the pound when he found you. A lot of us find our little animals in the pound, and that's a great thing. No, you were feral, (laughs) foraging, slowly starving. Now you've been sanctified, you've been brought inside. Our own Candace Hilton has a new cat named Crescendo, which I love that name. But she described her only other cat as a big square yellow cat, 15 pounds, named Attila the Honey. Okay, <laughs> spelled H-U-N-N-Y. We actually had a yellow cat named Honey with H O N E Y. But I love the take on the word, you know, Attila the Hun, but he's a honey, right? Uh, for a $25 fee, Candace will name your animal as well, <laughs> all right? <laughs> I thought I'd clear that with her. But, yeah. Okay, so, but anyway, Attila was found in a home at five months old, just found in an abandoned home, okay? Attila was brought in. And she says, when I took him into the home, he walked into the air-conditioned house with food inside. And he basically said, I'm never going outside again. (laughs) And he didn't. He wouldn't. He would stand at the doorway. Dogs would go in and out. He might sit on the back of a chair and watch them, you know. He wasn't going out there again because he had been sanctified. See? He had been sanctified. He had been separated out. He had a new place in which he belonged. He didn't love his old connections. He liked his new connection. That's where we are. Sanctified out. Hold fast that hope, brothers and sisters. There's nothing more glorious than that God has taken us feral animals. Starving and brought us into his presence. And how did he do it? Through the death of his son. We may spend a hundred bucks on medical bills and fixing the cat or whatever we have to do. God spent the blood of his son to get us feral people to belong to him. Don't give up that hope. Draw near Hold fast that hope. And finally, love well. It may not look at first that this is what he's saying, but it is what he's saying. Where he says there in verse 24, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So this word consider... Here's a use of it in Psalm 119, verse 165. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. Okay? So there's the idea. You, You fix your eyes upon something or someone. Or, as Jesus said in Luke 12, 27, consider the lilies, how they grow. He doesn't mean a casual, no, he means you to focus. Give spiritual attention, thoughtful meditation on the lilies. And this is the idea here. Give thoughtful, spiritual meditation. Fix your eyes on one another. Keep our attentions on one another to this final end that we might provoke one another to love and good deeds. Think of that. Keep our eye fixed on one another so that we would provoke one another to love and good deeds. So let us love each other well with this constant, persistent, deep interest in stirring up one another. I love this translation. Let us consider each other carefully for the purpose of sparking love and good deeds. Or another, let us be concerned for each other to stir a response in love and good works. Let us be moving one another at all times to love and good works. You get the idea. Now, it's not like this, all right? This would be a bad application of that. You tell your friend, I had a terrible wreck today. I rolled the car I can't even believe that I'm alive and, and I was hardly injured, but I'm just traumatized by it. And then we hear our son, John was actually attacked as he was coming home from school by a bunch of bullied kids. And then your friend says, oh, sounds like no good deeds today. You know, as he's responding to you to keep an eye on you to see whether you're doing good deeds or not. That's not what we're talking about. Right? In fact, As you think about it, it's those who've drawn near to the presence of God and they know his favor and they're holding fast to this glorious uh, realization that I'm in the presence of God and out of love for one another, they're stirring one another up to love and good deeds. You see, it's experiencing the love and favor of God. We're naturally stirring one another up to love and good deeds. And I would suggest to you that if you're drawing near to God and you're holding fast and you're part of a fellowship that is really doing that, this fellowship will be issuing out in love and good deeds. It has to be. This, is, this exhortation is part of it. Draw near, hold fast, and love each other well. We will be loving each other well when we all used to be feral people are now experiencing together the wonderful favor of the presence of God. And we're encouraging one another to walk forth in love. In fact, this word uh, stir or in some translations and stir here it is. Sometimes it's it's stimulate one another, but it's a very strong word. In fact, it's kind of surprising that it's in a positive context because sometimes oftentimes this word uh, has to do with disagreement. Like Paul and Barnabas had a disagreement. And this is the word that's used. Right. So it's a very powerful word and he's using it kind of like we'd say, hey, attack them with kindness or launch an offense of kindness. So really get them all stirred up, disturbed, upset, agitated, all torn up for good deeds. It's kind of the feel of it, you know, not, not literally, but just saying, have people be gripped each other, grip each other with this idea of giving yourself away, the joy of giving yourself away. And, and that's part of this whole meaning because uh, the, the word even to draw near And this word of confidence in verse uh, 19 carries with it in the Old Testament the idea of joy in his presence. See, you're so aware that you know his favor, that there is joy and your joy is moving out in other people's lives so that we are no longer a part of the dead, dying works that lead to death, our sinful, ingrown selves, as he talks about earlier, but here we are pushing each other out to love. Chrysostom in the early centuries was writing on Proverbs 27, verse 17. He says this, As iron sharpens iron, so also fellowship increases love. For if a stone rubbed against a stone sends forth fire, how much more one person in contact with another? Shouldn't we, can't we, by God's grace, be sparking, sparking constantly when we're together? And isn't it interesting that he says, don't neglect this, that this even seems to be the whole point of coming together. All of worship, all of the gathering together is spoken of under this guise of the final fruit of coming together. Stimulating one another to love and good deeds. It doesn't mean that's all that happens, but he's putting the whole of our worship and gathering under this final issue out of that gathering. And that is being stirred up to love, joyful spending of ourselves for other people. And he says, don't neglect. The word is a strong word. Don't abandon each other in the lurch. If you're not a part of the body, you've abandoned God's people. Like someone abandoning a child in the forest. You've abandoned God's people. And he says, all the more as we look to that day where Jesus is going to come and renew all things. Be a part of that renewal even now. As you are in the presence of God, holding that hope and loving each other well. Promoting love and good deeds. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we thank you that because of what Christ has done, we can draw near that we have this amazing hope of belonging to you. Enable us never to abandon that hope and never to abandon one another, Lord. Enable us not to abandon one another in fear. To hang back even when we're together. Enable us, not if not physically, but even spiritually and emotionally to abandon one another. Oh Lord, cause us to be a part of the love that is pouring itself out into each other's lives so that each of us is more and more encouraged by that love to pour ourselves out for others. Because we are all separated out and we are all in the presence of of this gracious God who has opened the way through the blood of his own son. Oh, Lord, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.